Alternative Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. We have another wonderful show for you today. Joanna came correct with some October spookiness. That's I, right. I did not so much. I'll be talking about space stuff, which I guess is kind of Halloween-y, too. I guess, kind of, but... To be to be fair, though, I, I almost forgot about spooky season myself and was going to do something weird, but completely not spooky. And then at the last minute, I was like, fuck shit, it's spooky season, I gotta do something spooky and creepy, so... Well, next time, I will come correct with that as well. We do have one more episode, a regular episode, and a bonus episode during this yes. spooky season. So, you know, yeah, I, come up I with some spooky, spookier shit next time. I won't be a fool next time. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll try not to be a fool next time. There's no real, you know, I can't guarantee you I won't be a fool, but I'll try. All right. Well, that's all I can ask for. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, would you like to start us out with some spookiness again? Yeah. I'm going to be talking about an unsolved murder involving a plot twist with a cult and a serial killer who was already in jail at the time of the murder. Well. And the murder occurred on... Halloween. Of course it did. Halloween night, 1981. I was two. I was one. I was probably dressed up as a pumpkin or some dumb shit. Halloween night, 1981. Ronald Sisman, a 39-year-old photographer, and his 20-year-old girlfriend, Elizabeth Platzman, were brutally murdered in Ron's New York apartment. They were beaten severely, probably for some time, before being shot execution-style in the back of the head. And not even shot once. Reportedly, Ron was shot four times, and <laughs> Elizabeth was shot three times. The apartment was completely torn apart, but nothing seemed to really be missing from it other than a twenty-five caliber handgun that was registered to Ron was not found there. Also, their driver's licenses had been taken. Huh. Yes, but that appears to be the only thing. Police were pretty baffled as to a motive. There was no forced entry, so it was assumed that the attacker or attackers had been let into the apartment. And the best they could come up with was maybe there was some kind of drug angle. It was Ron was known to dabble in the fun stuff a bit. And in 1980, there was an actress, Melanie Holler. She had accused Ron of attempting to force her to take drugs, but the charges were later dropped due to the fact that she really just wouldn't cooperate with investigators. Did they say what kind of drugs? 
it is not said what kind of drugs. And I only mention Melanie and her accusation because it does come into play a little bit down the road. Well, as I said, the police were pretty stumped as to what possibly could have motivated this murder until they received a really random tip from a none other than a prison jailhouse informant later identified as Vinny. The informant told them that the murder of Ron and Elizabeth had been predicted by someone else in the prison two weeks prior. Okay. And guess who it was who made that prediction to Vinny of Ron and Elizabeth's murder? Uh, was it, I don't know, I don't know. I don't, do I have to guess? No, you don't have to guess. Okay, all right, I'm not gonna. I was just doing it for dramatic effect. Oh, I see, I see. (laughs) It was none other than David Berkowitz. Oh, no shit. Also known as Son of Sam, yes. David Berkowitz. Did the dog tell him? No, the dog did not reveal this information to him. I'm sure. Okay. I mean, I'm sort of sure, because, you know, this is all kind of, you know, allegedly, supposedly secondhand. Yeah, yeah. Berkowitz had been in jail since the time of his arrest, which was back in August of 1977, after he had done several murders in 1976 and 1977, totaling six people killed and seven people injured with his 44 caliber handgun. Yeah. He was the one who was in New York, right? And he would just, yeah. he was looking for blonde women? Uh, brunette women. Brunettes, that's what it was, it was brunettes. Yeah. And so lots of women were dying there blonde. Brunettes. He liked to shoot them. Yes, he often killed couples, yes. parked in lovers' lanes. He would just kind of walk up and just shoot them, kill them, bam, 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 and then run off. It's been speculated, though, that Berkowitz did not act alone. And apparently when he revealed this murder prediction to good old Vinny, that was him basically saying that he did not act alone because he was part of a larger cult, and it was going to be this cult who was going to kill a photographer and his girlfriend in his apartment in Greenwich Village, which was actually not quite accurate because the guy's apartment was in Chelsea, and I'm not from New York, so I don't know what the fuck difference that makes, but it's close enough, I guess. Now, the reason the photographer and his girlfriend were going to be murdered was because Ron, the photographer apparently had made a snuff video of one of the killings that David Berkowitz had committed. His final killing, in fact. Now, this whole theory that Berkowitz never acted alone, that he was part of a bigger satanic cult, there's actually like a whole Netflix series on this. And I had seen it before, and it kind of piqued my interest, but, you know, I have limited 
Netflix time, so I haven't yeah. actually watched it yet, but now I kind of really want to. Uh, it's called Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness, and the guy, the investigative journalist who kind of put it all together, his name is Maury Terry, and he just has this whole theory about a cult and how Son of Sam did not act alone and how ultimately that tied into these two murders. Son of Sam, it's thought uh, David Berkowitz came up with his nickname Son of Sam because of his neighbor Sam Carr. And it was Sam Carr whose dog Harvey was the one that he said was possessed by the ancient demon, was telling him to do all the killing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Carr actually had two sons, and they're dead now. Oh. And it wasn't until after they were dead that Berkowitz implied that the sons actually were part of the killings. The sons' names were John and Michael. You know how uh, Son of Sam, he wrote all these letters to the police taunting them. Well, aside from saying, you know, he was the son of Sam, there was also other nicknames that had been used in some of these letters to police. Some of them included Wicked King Wicker and John Wheaties, Rapist and Suffocator of Young Girls. These could both possibly reference the Carr brothers because they lived on Wicker Street in Yonkers, New York. And then one of the brothers, John, his nickname was Wheaties, apparently. Okay. Another thing that's kind of weird. Like Wheaties, or was he on was he an athlete and so uh, expected to be on the box? His sister was named Wheat. Oh. Wheat Carr. That's a And so I don't know why that would be his nickname would be Wheaties, because her name was Wheat, but I mean it's a little bit of a stretch if you ask me. But Yeah, no, it is. One thing that is a little weird is that there were police sketches when the Son of Sam murders were occurring. There there were a lot that resembled Berkowitz, but there were some that completely did not look like him at all. But they did uh, look quite a bit like the Carr brothers. Wow. And Berkowitz himself, after they died, said that they were accomplices of his. But, I mean... The guy also said that Harvey, the ancient demon dog, told him to commit the murder. So, really, hard to say at this point. And they're dead, so... Even harder at that point. Yeah. And it's not even 100% that the Carr brothers were in on the killing of Ronald and Elizabeth, just that they were part of this cult, and the cult was called... The Children. It was a satanic cult called The Children. And it was an offshoot of a cult called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Their belief was that uh, by practicing Satanism and murdering people, they could bring about the end of the world. Okay. Sure. (laughs) 
it was speculated that another member of the cult was this sketchy producer guy named Roy Raiden. He lived on Long Island. And he was known for throwing some crazy drug-fueled, sex-filled orgy parties. Yeah, I mean, the guy just partied it up. Now, remember Melanie Holler, the one who said that Ronald Sisman had tried to force her to take drugs? Yes. That same year, 1980, that she had accused Sisman of trying to force her to take drugs, she also accused... Roy Raiden of beating and raping her at one of his parties. Jesus. And apparently a party guest ended up being convicted of assault, not Roy Raiden himself. Raiden himself was only uh, placed on probation and fined $1,000 for possessing a firearm, which was discovered during the investigation. So he really didn't pay for his alleged crime at all. No, not really. But it does kind of link Sisman and Raiden together because this one actress, she she was actually in that series Welcome Back, Cotter. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've never actually seen it, but... I've never seen it, but everyone's heard it. Heard about it. Oh, yeah. It's like Cheers. I mean, I never watched it, really, because when it was on, I was like a kid, and that was boring to watch people sitting in a bar. Yeah, definitely. Talking, but, you know, everyone knows about Cheers. Everyone knows about Welcome Back, Cotter. She was an actress there, and she kind of linked the two together. So it's speculated that he was also part of this cult, and he also met a rather violent end in 1983 when he was found shot to death oh. in California. Although, in 1988, it was discovered that he wasn't shot to death because uh, he was part of a cult and they wanted to get rid of him so that he wouldn't talk or whatever. Um, it was found that he was, it was some like weird like argument over a movie that he was going to produce. There was some like financial argument over like this movie that totally flopped. <laughs> it was a Francis Ford Coppola movie called the cotton club. And yeah, this chick and a couple of her bodyguards kidnapped him and shot him over oh, wow. this fucking movie. Allegedly, supposedly, I mean, they were convicted, but I mean, it, it seems like that wasn't some sort of like, cult hit that was made to look like something else. Unless they were part of the cult, too. And, I mean, who the fuck knows? Yeah. Could be. Could be. Could be. Now, back to the the motive. It The murder that was allegedly filmed by Ronald was the murder of Stacy Moskowitz, who was murdered by by Berkowitz. Her boyfriend was also shot by Berkowitz, and he was blinded in the attack, but he did survive. Stacy did not. Now, according to Berkowitz, this final killing was filmed by Ronald Sisman, and Sisman had the, the movie 
And so the Colts wanted that movie back. And so the children, Colts, were going to go to Sisman's apartment, murder, beat and murder the occupants in the name of Satan, and also to <laughs> fetch <laughs> fetch back the evidence that implicated them in this murder, and then do their best to cover it up and make it look like it was for some other reason other than to retrieve the snuff film. Right. Yes. Now, there hasn't really been any actual evidence that supports any of this. Well, it seems so plausible. <laughs> but it is kind of weird if Vinny, the uh, informant's um, statements are true. It is odd that Berkowitz would have knowledge of this murder two weeks prior. And, I mean, how would he know two weeks prior that it was going to be... I mean, this was 1981. He's been in jail for, like... A few years. A few years. So was somebody from the children's cult still in contact with him? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're finally, we're finally going to fucking ice the photographer. The photographer and his girlfriend, they're fucking next. But why would they tell him? That seems pointless. Right. Like they'd, they'd have to go... Like, we either write him a letter or go into the jail and talk to him and be like, hey, man. Yeah. So it just seems like, I guess they could call him, but still. Yeah, it's, it's what's odd. What's the point? There would be odd. no point to that. I mean, unless Berkowitz has psychic powers that, you know, he got from Satan or the demonic Maybe, dog. but I, I feel like know. if he had psychic powers, his ass wouldn't have gotten caught. Yeah, there's always that. <laughs> <laughs> there's always that. Yeah. And there's no nothing that links Sisman to the murder, um, the murder of Stacy Moskowitz. There's nothing that links Roy Raiden to Sisman's murder or to any of the other, you know, alleged anything's yeah children cults anything's. The only thing that links Sisman to Raiden is that that one actress who both accused them of wrongdoing in the same year. So it's possible they were in the same circles. They ran in the same circles, but uh, really that's, that's about all that links them. And then as far as Berkowitz is concerned, although he implicated the Carr brothers, there's nothing that concrete that, that links him them to the murders that he admits to doing. Yeah. And yeah, it's just all a pretty crazy and wild theory. Interesting. Yeah, but it for sure. Just... But there's nothing that actually concretely says yes. There was there's like this cult out there that not only uh, killed this photographer and his girlfriend, but was also part of the Son of Sam killings. Yeah, there's just, there's not really any evidence to support it, but makes for an interesting story, I guess. And to this day, the murders of uh, Elizabeth and Ronald are unsolved and probably likely to stay that way since it's been like 40 years now. Yeah, no shit. So. Getting the, to the point where anyone who knows anything is not around anymore or right i mean 
people are, lots of people involved are dead, and I don't even know if Berkowitz is still alive, but, I mean, I feel I like you can't so. trust anything that guy says, because... No, not really. I mean, there was the whole thing with the dog, and then he took that all back, and, I mean, he... You, you just, I mean, the guy is just a, a liar, among other things. Yes. A killer and a liar. A killer and a liar, and... uh Apparently still alive. He's 68 years old. So, still alive, still in jail, where he belongs. Yep. But, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't put a whole, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a whole lot that he has to say about anything, really, at all. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good idea to not trust that guy. Interesting, though. Yeah, weird. I mean, it's one of these things where, um, you know, how there's the, like, last year we kind of investigated the whole smiley thing. Yeah. Smiley face killers theory. Which I happen to buy a little bit more than this, the you know, this children cult that goes around murdering people, kind of, sort of. Um but there, I think there's, like, detectives, I haven't watched the, the series on it on Netflix yet, but I think there's also, like, detectives that are kind of, like, really st- totally, like, convinced that there's, like, this whole, like, larger satanic group out there that was responsible for these murders, but no, but no one's listening. Yeah, well, I mean, I but, guess it's probably you know, because there hasn't I mean, been a lot of uh, but cases then again, of... There's not a whole lot of evidence to support, it's it's just kind of, like, one... I mean, if you dissect something enough, you can find a lot of weird coincidences and links, and I think that's really all you have here. Some weird coincidences and some crazy accusations, but nothing concrete. Yeah, no, it sounds, yeah, well. But it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, you know, the the murders were never solved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and always it is weird. It's weird to, I mean, like, what was the reason? I mean, to some random killing? Who knows? Could have been. Could have been. That, was, that should happen all the time then. Less, less so now, I believe. I believe it's usually uh, gang-related these days. <laughs> Either that or it's just a easier to solve and to find connections between yeah. people and ultimately find whoever had motive for for doing it yeah yeah there's just more out there to find than there was back in 1981 definitely with all the cameras and all the shit that there is out there now mm-hmm. you're surveilled yeah. uh, you know your phone's locations there's the whole social media things it's really easy to track like people that you knew and that you interacted with or that you know might have had a grudge against you there's all kinds of we make it a lot easier these days but i mean it's not necessarily a bad thing no i mean if you're i mean crime should be solved true i'm all for crime being solved People shouldn't do bad things to other people. That is right. <laughs> Don't be a dick and kill people. That's not yes. cool. Yeah. I mean, be a dick if you want, but don't, don't be that kind people. of yeah. Don't be a murderous dick. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, uh, I have a few stories about space here. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about space. Talk about space. Scary. It is. (laughs) Space Uh, is actually scary. (laughs) I don't Um, like space at all. This first one I have is from earthsky.org. And it's entitled Bible Story of Sodom. On an ordinary day some 3,600 years ago, the inhabitants of an ancient Middle Eastern city now called Tal el-Hammam, which is identified as the biblical city of Sodom, went about their daily business. They had no idea that an unseen icy space rock was speeding toward them at about 38,000 miles per hour, or 61,000 kilometers per hour. Flashing through the atmosphere, the rock exploded in a massive fireball about two and a half miles or four kilometers above the ground. The blast was about 1,000 times more powerful than the Hiroshima atomic bomb. The shocked city dwellers who stared at it were blinded instantly. Air temperatures rose above 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit, 2,000 degrees Celsius. Clothing and wood immediately burst into flames. Swords, spears, Mud bricks and pottery began to melt almost immediately. The entire city was on fire. Some seconds later, a massive shockwave smashed into the city, moving at about 740 miles per hour, 1,200 kilometers per hour. It was more powerful than the worst tornado ever recorded. The deadly winds ripped through the city, demolishing every building. They sheared off the top 40 feet, 12 meters, of the four-story palace and blew the jumbled debris into the next valley. None of the 8,000 people or any animals within the city survived. Their bodies were torn apart and their bones blasted into small fragments. About a minute later, 14 miles or 22 kilometers to the west of Tal el-Hammam, winds from the blast hit the biblical city of Jericho. Jericho's walls came tumbling down and the city burned to the ground. So there's like two Bible stories and one there. It all sounds like the climax of an edge-of-your-seat Hollywood disaster movie. How do we know that all of this actually happened near the Dead Sea and Jordan millennia ago? Getting answers required nearly 15 years of painstaking excavations by hundreds of people. It also involved detailed analysis of excavated material by more than two dozen scientists in 10 states in the U.S., as well as Canada and the Czech Republic. When our group finally published the evidence recently in the journal Scientific Reports, the 20 co-authors included archaeologists, geologists, geochemists, geomorphologists, mineralogists, paleobotanists, sedimentologists, cosmic impact experts, and medical doctors. It's a whole bunch of fucking PhDs right there. That is a lot of education. Yes. Here's how we built up this picture of, de- of devastation in the past. Firestorm throughout the city. Years ago, when archaeologists looked over the excavations of the ruined city, they could see a dark, roughly five-foot-thick jumbled layer of charcoal, ash, melted mud bricks, and melted pottery. That's 1.5 meters. 
It was obvious that an intense firestorm had destroyed the city long, long ago. This dark band came to be called the Destruction Layer. Sounds like a good name for a metal band. Yeah, it does. No one was exactly sure what happened, but that layer wasn't caused by a volcano, earthquake, or warfare. None of them are capable of melting metal, mud bricks, and pottery. To figure out what could, our group used the online impact calculator to model scenarios that fit the evidence. Built by impact experts, this calculator allows researchers to estimate the many details of cosmic impact events based on known impact events and nuclear detonations. It appears that the culprit of Tal el-Hammam was a small asteroid similar to the one that knocked down 80 million trees in Tunguska, Russia in 1908. Oh, yeah. It would have been a much smaller version of the giant miles-wide rock that pushed the dinosaurs into extinction 65 million years ago. We had a likely culprit. Now we needed proof of what happened that day in Tel El Hamam. Our research revealed a remarkably broad array of evidence. At the site, there are finely fractured sand grades called shocked quartz that only form at 725,000 pounds per square inch of pressure. That's six 68-ton Abrams military tanks stacked on your thumb. So that's a lot of fucking pressure. Ouch. The destruction layer also contains tiny diamondoids that, as the name indicates, are as hard as diamonds. Each one is smaller than a flu virus. It appears that the wood and plants in the area were instantly turned into diamond-like material by the fireball's high pressure and temperatures. Which is fucking crazy. Yeah. Experiments with laboratory furnaces showed that the bubbled pottery and mud bricks at Tal El Hammam liquefied at temperatures above 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,500 Celsius. That's hot enough to melt an automobile within minutes. The destruction layer also contains tiny balls of melted material smaller than airborne dust particles called spherules. They're made of vaporized iron and sand that melted at about 29,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 1590 Celsius. In addition, the surface of the pottery and melt glass are speckled with tiny melted metallic grains called iridium with melting points of 4435 degrees Fahrenheit or 2466 Celsius. Platinum that melts at 3125 Fahrenheit and zirconium silicate at 2800 degrees Fahrenheit. Very hot Celsius for both of those. Yes. Together, all of the evidence shows that temperatures in the city rose higher than those of volcanoes, warfare, and normal city fires. The only natural process left is cosmic impact. The same evidence is found at known impact sites, such as Tung Tunguska and the Chikulub crater created by the asteroid that triggered the dinosaur extinction, extinction oh, okay. which I believe, I believe that's in the Yucatan. Yes. Or at least a bit of it is. One remaining puzzle is why the city and over 100 other area settlements were abandoned for several centuries after this devastation. It may be that high levels of salt deposited during the impact event made it impossible to grow crops. We're not certain yet, but we think the explosion may have vaporized or splashed toxic levels of Dead Sea salt water across the valley. Without crops, no one could live in the valley for up to 600 years until the minimal rainfall in this desert-like climate washed the salt out of the fields. Was there a surviving eyewitness to the blast? It's possible that an oral description of the city's destruction may have been handed down for generations until it was recorded in the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
The Bible describes the devastation of an urban center near the Dead Sea. Stones and fire fell from the sky. More than one city was destroyed. Thick smoke rose from the, the fires and city inhabitants were killed. Could this be an ancient eyewitness account? If so, the destruction of Tal el Hammam may be the second oldest destruction of human settlement by cosmic impact event after the village of Abu Huria in Syria about 12,800 years ago. Importantly, it may be the first written record of such a catastrophic event. I didn't even know about the one 12,800 years ago. Mm -mm. Maybe we'll talk about that a different time. The scary thing is, it almost certainly won't be the last time a human city meets this fate. Tunguska-sized airbursts, such as the one that occurred at El Tal el-Hammam, can devastate entire cities and regions, and these pose a severe modern-day hazard. As of, as of September 2021, there are more than 26,000 known near-Earth asteroids and 100 short-period near-Earth comets. One will inevitably hit, crash into the Earth. Millions more remain undetected and may be headed toward the Earth now. Unless orbiting or ground-based telescopes detect these rogue objects, the world may have no warning, just like the people of Tal el-Hammam. So that's pretty crazy. All right, so Sodom and Gomorrah was actually a... Tunguska event. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Makes Except sense. Except that uh, it melted shit that doesn't melt. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Wouldn't be unusual for a natural event to be blamed on, you know, as as an act of God. Oh, of course. And, you know. I mean, makes sense back in the day. Probably, you know, there's lots of people these days that would still consider, you know, it's like, well, God threw that asteroid down. Oh, yeah. Well, his anger. I mean, yeah, the, the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, is that God, like, sends angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah or something to find out if there's any good people there. And they do find some good people. So they like walk into the city and they like meet. I can't remember who. I can't remember who. But he lets them into his house. And then the whole crowd of the people from Sodom are like, hey, we want to fuck these guys. They're totally hot. Let's fuck them. Send them out so we can fuck them. And this guy is like, no, 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 no. It's fine. You can take my daughters and said, fuck my daughters. And they're like, no, we want to fuck these guys. And, and then uh, so the angels are like, all right, you and your family can get the fuck out of here, but the rest of this is going to, is just getting, is going to get fucked. So they escape the city and they're like, okay, you guys just like walk that way, but don't turn around and look at the destruction or like something bad will happen. Your and eyes so, will melt out of your head. No, no, actually it's, she, what happens is uh, his wife turns and sees the destruction of the city and she turns into a pillar of salt. Oh, and so then him and his two daughters don't look back because they're like, oh, shit, mom's salt. Salt now. <laughs> and uh, they camp someplace. Well, they think the world's ended. And so the daughters then get their father fucking wasted drunk and they both fuck him so that they can what? have children because they need to like keep the planet, like repopulate the world or whatever. And so, yeah. Okay. Good story. Yeah. Great story. <laughs> And basically just another way of being like, yeah, this place was full of sinners. God had to smite them. And then even the people that were supposedly good also sinned with well, like incest. At least and they, they then, raped their father. But yeah, I mean, fuck. Yeah. Good yeah. story. Good yeah. story. There's so many really <laughs> fucked up Bible stories. That's very true. Mm-hmm. 
So this next one that I have is from gizmodo.com. Earth is getting dimmer. Decades of Earthshine data now show the planet is less bright than it used to be. Oh, well, that is not a shock to me at all. Yeah, no shit. But uh, they don't mean intelligent-wise. Oh. They mean actually literally... Dimmer. Bright, yeah. Like less bright. Yes, exactly. Well, it also doesn't shock me. I mean, it's just... No, I mean, we're, we're good at fucking shit up. Yeah. Earth is losing some of its glow. A study published in Geophysical Research Letters last week shows... It appears climate change and natural climate shift has, have essentially scuffed up our planet. We really can't have nice things, can we, folks? No, we cannot. The study takes a look at Earthshine, or the light reflected from the planet that casts a faint light on the surface of the moon. It's also known as the Da Vinci Glow because Leonardo Da Vinci was the first person to formally write about it. Research has advanced quite a bit since Da Vinci's writings 500 years ago, and new findings used two decades of Earthshine data collected at Big Bear Solar Observatory using a special type of telescope to view the moon. The best time to observe Earthshine is when the moon is waxing or waning. Look at the moon then and you might be able to make out a faint outline of the whole moon in addition to the sliver brightly illuminated by the sun. That ghost outline is thanks to Earthshine, caused by the sunlight reflecting off our planet. You know, that makes... Yeah, I mean, you've seen that before where it's like, the moon, you can see the whole moon, but only part of it's actually lit up, but you can still see the black of the other moon against the night sky. Mm-hmm. That's what they're talking about here. Earthshine uh, sounds that's... like a great song title, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. The observatory is perfectly situated to measure Earthshine for 40% of the planet, spanning the Pacific parts of North America. Analyzing the data for the roughly 800 nights between 1998 and 2017 showed a small but significant decline in Earthshine. There were some year-to-year -year shifts, but the paper notes that they are quite muted, with a long-term decline dominating the time series. So it's hard to tell, like, right year-to-year, -year, but when you look back 20 or 30 years ago, it's, you know, quite a bit, quite a bit more dim. It's kind of like people aging. A little bit, except uh, it's like it's like people being tortured, you know? Well, I didn't get that out of it, but whatever, freak. Well, people aging is natural, but well, we're, we're doing this to the Earth. So, oh, I get you. Okay. Yeah, so well, it's like, more like people being tortured. Torture, like, really come into the equation. But I guess, I guess, yeah, all right. And the last one that I have is about dipshit billionaires. Oh, yay. Dipshit, dipshit billionaires. billionaires. This is from giantfreakingrobot.com. Jeff Bezos is suing NASA over the moon. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos continue to fight with each other over space. But this time, NASA is involved. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon.com and Blue Origin, a privately funded aerospace manufacturer. Like SpaceX, Blue Origin makes rocket ships. Bezos recently made headlines when he took one of his ships suborbital and streamed videos of the flight online. Meanwhile, Elon Musk had a fun little laugh at him on social media because Bezos only touched outer space. The rivalry between the two is clear to the public, so it wasn't a surprise when both men's companies were bidding on the same contract with NASA to get their rocket to space. When SpaceX won the contract, 
Jeff Bezos filed a lawsuit. Now NASA and SpaceX can't go to the moon until the lawsuit is handled. God. I know. Fucking billionaires are such little bitches. Why is Jeff Bezos suing NASA exactly? NASA had a certain amount of funding to go to the moon. NASA hasn't sent astronauts there since 1972, so the trip is a big deal. However, Congress is only going to give NASA so much to make this happen. SpaceX and Blue Origin submitted their contract proposals for the trip. SpaceX won a $2.9 billion contract. Blue Origin's proposal was for $5.9 billion. They didn't seem to expect that NASA would go with the lowest bidder, but they did. Shocker. In July, Jeff Bezos tried again and submitted a proposal that was $2 billion cheaper, which makes it $3.9 billion. But that still didn't cut it. NASA is going to SpaceX. So, Bezos is suing. He argues that NASA should have changed their terms once they realized Congress wasn't giving them more money for the contract. In May, NASA's attorneys wrote a report saying that basically that it was Blue Origin's own fault for losing the contract. They wrote, quote, Realizing now that it gambled and lost, Blue Origin seeks to use GAO's procurement oversight function to improperly compel NASA to suffer the consequences of Blue Origin's ill-conceived choices, unquote. Currently, the Jeff Bezos lawsuit is delaying the moon program. Of course, it also doesn't endear the agency to Bezos' company, which doesn't seem like a strong move for its future in space. Elon Musk has been quoted saying that Blue Origin should put more effort into going into space and less into lawsuits. When Vox asked Elon Musk about it, he said, quote, You cannot see your way to the moon, okay? Unquote. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't like Musk either. I think they're both twats. In my right, opinion, but apparently, I think uh, NASA just finds Elon Musk more likable, though, than Jeff Bezos. Well, I mean, it's not hard. Meanwhile, Blue Origin has been saying that SpaceX doesn't follow proper safety protocols, which Elon Musk says makes no sense. The two appear to be bickering publicly, which seems like something that will only increase as the two companies continue their ambitions in space. It's not currently known how long Jeff Bezos can hold up NASA's moon mission, but it does currently have things in a standstill. It's hard to imagine that after all this, Blue Origin believes they'll get the moon contract for themselves. It seems more likely that they believe someone, the lawsuit will set standards that can follow for future contracts, but it's hard to say what billionaires believe they can make happen. The latest rumor for Jeff Bezos' space company is the next time they launch, they'll be bringing William Shatner on board. William Shatner played Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek series. If true, the star may be making his own documentary when it happens. Okay. So billionaires doing bullshit that they don't need to be fucking doing because you know what else they could be doing? Something altruistic. Going to space and taking actors to space is not altruistic. It's no. like take care of the planet first. Both of these douchebags, if they worked together, could cure world hunger. But these dumbasses just don't. They're too busy jacking each other off and going to space. So, fuck them. Well, yes, fuck them. Although, I, I tend to like Elon Musk a little bit better than Jeff Bezos. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which, uh, he's he's more likable, but they're too. both, in my opinion, they're both fucking twats. Well, I'm I mean, probably going to, at some point, uh, sign up for the Elon Musk, uh, you know, internet service. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, probably a lot of people are. Yeah. But that doesn't make him any less, in my opinion, it doesn't make him any less of a twat. No, but uh, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of liking that it's, it's, um, you know, good internet for less money. Yeah, that's a good thing. But because what it should be I just had is to good like, internet for no money. Right. That should be number one. But because, I am pretty you know, fed up with my current internet carrier it. and its ridiculous charges. Yeah, yeah. It was at 167 a month, and I had to give up unlimited to back to a limited plan where they will charge you for any overages just to knock it down to 80 bucks a month, 85 a month, which, you know, they still were just like, yeah, we're giving you a great deal here. And You're like, fuck like, you. Yeah, fuck you guys. But at least with Jarek there, it's probably going to not be quite so With him not much. there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And now that I'm gone all day and the kids are in, you know, normal school all day, it, it shouldn't be that hard. But the whole point is, is that it's bullshit. It's 100% bullshit. Internet being that expensive is just it's fucking stupid. Yeah, they were actually protesting it in the streets of Topeka Wow! about a month ago about uh, the companies called Cox, of course. Oh, yeah. No, I've heard of, I've heard of them before. And for, you know, I'm driving by and I just see, like... A bunch of, like, guys with, like, tattoos holding up a sign, a big crowd of them on the street, and I had, to, I had to kind of slow down and read some of the signs because, you know, sometimes people with tattoos in Kansas uh, protesting in the street, I mean, they, they might not necessarily, it might not be, like, something I'm going to, like, honk my horn at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, know? like, all right, what are these guys fucking talking about? <laughs> right, I have to, like, like wait a second, what, what's what's going on here? But then it was like, I shouldn't, you know need a second job to pay my internet and, you know, capitalism like, true, sucks. True, true, okay. You know, this isn't some like, fucking you know, QAnon capitalist culture. greed sucks. I'm like, hell yeah, Yeah, you know? goddamn right honk, it does. Honk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'll, I'll get behind that. I'll give you a honk and wave for that. Yeah, yeah. If Shit. you weren't driving, you could have flashed your tits. <laughs> I would have if I was in the car. Well, a couple of them were pretty cute, so... There you go. You know, I, I, may, I may have just, but... <laughs> it's hard but, to do while you're driving. Before we wrap it up, since I forgot at the end of my piece, uh, my sources for my spooky story were medium.com, msn.com, oltnews.com, thecinemaholic.com, and newyorktimesnytimes.com. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, very much for listening. You can find us at any of the social media sites we're at, at Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. Uh, send us your stories about alien abductions or uh, ghosts, shadow people, any crazy shit that happens, cryptids, anything you've seen. Send us the email. Send us emails about it. We'd love to read your story on on the air. You know, with or without your name, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, our email address is strangerthanpodcast at gmail dot com. You can check out our page at ageofradio.org slash stranger than. You can stream all of our episodes there. Uh, while you're at it, you can also check out the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. There you can find a shitload of other podcasts and merchandise to purchase, all kinds of fun stuff. You can subscribe to our Patreon if you do not like commercials or if you just like us. It is $1 a month for a Chris Pie 5 if you ever see us. $2 a month to get ad-free regular episodes, or $5 a month to, in addition to getting the ad-free regular episodes, also a bonus true crime episode. 
Again, thank you all very much for listening. And with that, we'll talk to you next time. And stay strange. Thank you.